This week, um, I'm scheduled to talk with us um, out of the book of 1 John with chapters 7 through 14. That was the the passage that I was going to be looking at. And I am going to be looking at part of this. But there's there's something you need to hear. First of all, let me teach you uh, a Latin word. Have you ever seen on a submarine, the captain of the submarine comes into the bridge and he says, raise that what? So he can look out. Periscope. Periscope. Somebody spell periscope for me. P-E-R-I-S-C-O-P-E. Periscope. Take the S out. Now spell it. Pericope. P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E. Taking the S out of periscope. But it's not pronounced pericope. It's pronounced pericope. Okay? That's the, it is a Latin word. It is a, the pericope is a paragraph or a a grouping of sentences that completes a thought. And in biblical exegesis, which is another pastor term, it's when you're trying to interpret the Bible, when you're trying to explain what the Bible says, you want to use the entire pericope, the entire train of thought, the entire paragraph, if you will, when you're doing that. Because you don't want to leave parts of it out. So as I divided this book the first, the, the first book of, uh, of John, as I divided it, the pericope that I thought I would be looking at would be chapter one, ver- I mean, excuse me, chapter two, verses seven through fourteen. The problem is, pericope is something that was man-made. It is an artificial division of the original letter. Okay. Um, remember we talked in Sunday school about it took 300 years for people to come to an understanding of, you know, what the Christians believe. Well, the person who invented this idea of pericope was an early church father named Jerome, who lived around that time frame. And he, he taught this to his students, who then taught it to their students, who have since taught it to all of the millions of times millions of students who've studied the Bible. And so now we all have this idea of pericope. The problem is, It's an artificial division because John, when he originally wrote this letter, he didn't put chapter one, verse one, blah, 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 verse two, blah, blah. He just wrote a letter. How many of you people have written letters in your life to friends or loved ones? And when you write a letter to your friend or loved one, you don't say chapter one, verse one. You just write the letter. And sometimes your thought gets interrupted by another thought and you put in that thought because unless you're writing an essay for turn in for a grade, you don't cut and paste in your notes or your letters, you just write. So sometimes, my mother-in-law used to literally, when she would, when we would go on road trips or in vacations, she was an incredible correspondent and she would write pages and pages and pages in one letter. I mean, if you got a letter from Mama G, it was six and seven pages long. But she didn't write all of those six or seven pages all in one sitting. So she would write a little bit, and then she'd get tired or distracted or have to do something, she'd put it aside. Then she'd come back to it and write some more. Then she'd come back to it. Well, you know, this letter could have taken her three to five days to write you. Takes you ten minutes to read, but took her three to five days to complete it. So the end result being, you've got all of these different thoughts 
these pericopes, if you will, and you have to figure out why did she all of a sudden change there? That thought in the last sentence doesn't lead into this next thought. What in the world? And but you make it, you you understand, and it makes sense because you know how she writes, and so you just realize that there's going to be a little bit of a difference in the in the in the thought process as you're going through this body of this letter. Well, guess what? It probably took John 5 to 7, 12, 15, 175 days to write this thing. And so there are points in this letter that John changes his thought pattern without a clear transition. Without a, this thought leads into this thought, leads into this thought, leads into this thought. And it's a challenge when, as a minister, that you're trying to present a study of this letter to come up with the units of thought, the pericope, as you're doing this, because it kind of, it's all over the place. So sometimes you have to pull verses from all over the the different letter. Sometimes it flows nicely, as it did for the last three weeks, we kind of flowed. But we've reached the point now where it's not going to be an easy flow. And so this is what we're going to do. What I thought was, when I originally looked at the artificial pericope division, I thought it would be 7 through 14, and then 15 through 17. Okay, that was my thought pattern. But as I've gotten into it now, it is 7 through 11, and then 12 through 17. So this week, we're looking at 7 to 11. Next week, we're going to look at 12 through 17. And quite frankly, we're probably not going to do a whole lot of look between 12, 13, and 14. But we'll talk about that next week. But as you're reading through this, hopefully you are reading through this in in the coming days, um, just understand that the reason that there seems a little bit of disjointedness in this letter is because he probably wrote it over the course of time. And he probably went and had a cup of coffee or went had to go do some work someplace and then he came back to it later. And the end result was he's in a different place in his thought process when he starts up again. So there's not always going to be a smooth, easy transition from paragraph to paragraph, sentence to sentence. It's just the way it is. It's the nature of the beast. And that's where we're at right now. Um, Verses 7 through 11 kind of tie in with the previous stuff. But then 12, boom, it's a totally different thing. And scholars, as I have studied this, scholars struggle with how does does 12 fit better with 11 or does 14 fit better with 15 or where is this just something that was plunked down in here and so like I said we'll talk more about 12 through 14 next week but just understand that uh, that there is a little bit of disjointedness in this section and this is all artificial even if you were to compare your Bibles sitting side by side each other and one of you have a new international and one has a new American standard and one has a King James you would possibly see different different divisions in this area because scholars are undivided, undecided on how this should be divided up. So anyway, so this morning we are just simply going to look at verses 7 through 11. I want to read through it and then we'll talk. Beloved, and how many of you guys have something other than beloved in yours? What is, what does your say? Dear friends. Dear friends? Brothers. Brothers. Anybody else? Dear friends. Okay, this is, just so you know, this, as we've said before, this letter that John wrote was being written to Christians, 
Okay? So this letter is being written to Christians. And so when he addresses this, this group as beloved, he's not talking about one person that he's desperately in love with. He's talking about a group of people who are all believers in Jesus as the Savior. And we believe he's probably talking to a specific congregation. But we're not given that in the story of this letter. So that's just conjecture. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you had heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, first thing, verses seven and eight, this, this idea of this old commandment, this new commandment, what is he talking about? He says, I'm not writing you anything new. I'm talking to you about an old commandment. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same commandment time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, if you look at the whole letter, not just this section, this, not just this pericope, the whole letter, John is talking about love. Love for God, love for, for fellow humans, love for each other in the, in the fellowship of believers. And so this idea of this new commandment, which is not a new commandment, but is actually an ancient commandment, going back to either, and this is where scholars are divided, it goes back to either the early days of Christian of the Christian faith being established, or it goes all the way back to the time of the founding of the earth. Because there's no, there's no clear-cut explanation of what John was saying here. So what he's saying is there's an old commandment that's a new commandment, but it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. It goes back to the very beginnings. And you understand whether it's the beginnings of the church or the beginnings of all of humanity. And this commandment is this. The one you've already heard. Okay. It means to love. So you'll understand what he's saying. This new commandment that is an old commandment is the commandment to love. Now, this is where this three hour long, actually five hour long audio presentation that I've been listening to this week because a friend of ours has recommended it to me. There is a, a, a thing on YouTube that you can listen to. It's about a, uh, it's, it's an interview with a French philosopher named René Girard. R-E-N-E is the first name, Girard, G-I-R-A-R-D. And um, he, I mean, there's way too much for me to be able to bring into the sermon. But I got this one thing from this for today. And this, this, this philosopher's idea is that all of humanity's civilization, all of the foundation of civilization, civilization is founded on a violent event Called, that was a murder, and that was the murder of, uh, of, 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 uh, of Cain. Thank you. Where Abel murdered his brother Cain. 
And that foundational event, that murder, then has come into the entire, um, all of humanity, in the way that we live, in the way that we relate, in the way that we work. And his philosophy, in the way that he was teaching, was that the enemy of our souls, um, the Satan, the, the deceiver, has got all of humanity, um, I don't want to say distracted, but distracted from reality, from the truth. And the end result is there's always, there's all this selfish perspective, this constant me, 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 me. Everything's about me getting what I need to meet my needs so that I can and my family and our, and not, not you, but me. Always me. And the end result was if I don't get what I need, I end up in, I end up having to be violent to get what I need. And I always end up having to fuss and fight and scrap for mine, for making sure number one is taken care of. And there's, there's all of that going on, which offends God, because the whole point of our creation was that we were to be in right relationship with God. That was the whole reason for humans to be created. God desired fellowship. God desired intimacy, one with us. If you go back to the very earliest of human history, you see God walking in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation to do the one thing that they weren't supposed to do, eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they then disassociate themselves from God. They pull back from relationship with God. And the end result is they get cast out and they lose contact, that day-to-day contact that they had with the Almighty. And it's a long story, which we don't have time this morning to go into. But that whole thing was a work of the enemy of our souls who was so jealous of God and hated God that he ended up doing, trying to break and damage the one thing that, that brought God so much pleasure, and that was relationship with us. Now, in my mind, and this is what I pictured as I was listening to this audio this, this week about uh, Rene Girard's philosophy. In my mind, um, imagine a, the hum of a beehive, a dr- just a constant, and all the drones walking around doing their work, and they're constantly focused on what they have to do, totally unaware that there's a beekeeper outside of the hive trying to relate with them. They're just... And they each have their own role. They're each doing their thing. Now, now let's change the picture just slightly. Instead of this beehive, let's relate it to a movie. Actually, it was a a novel that came out and then it was made into a movie called The Matrix. And some of you may have seen that movie. Some of you may not have seen the movie. I don't recommend it. It's an R-rated movie. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of language. But there's a really cool philosophy in this that's behind this story. And it's that, that all of humanity has been kept in, has been kept from being able to recognize and realize what real life is. Because they're so stuck in this drone-like, hive-like existence of just living that they don't ever stick their heads up above and actually see reality. 
And Gerard said in the interview, at some point, a human being sticks their head up and recognizes that which the enemy has been trying to keep them from ever seeing. And that's there is a God and that that God has been offended by the way that I've been living my life. And I have an ownness before that God for owning my own sin. Owning my own offense before that God. And in the movie or in the book, The Matrix, there's this moment for the main character whose name is Neo, where he is presented with a choice. And this man is sitting opposite him in this quiet room and he looks at him and he explains to him that you've been living a false life. You've been living what seems real, but it's all false. There's a reality beyond anything you've ever experienced or imagined. And you need to recognize that you've been duped. And the only way for you to come out of this false reality is to take the red pill that's I, that I hold in my hand. If you take the red pill, you will step out of what has been Wonderland and you'll step back into reality. If you choose to ignore this offer, you can take the blue pill that I offer. You'll go to sleep and you'll wake up tomorrow morning in your bed and everything will be as it has been. And you'll, you'll forget even about this conversation and you just go back to your living, your normal life. And the whole storyline is that Neo recognizes that there is something beyond what he's been doing. And so he chooses the red pill, he takes it, he does an action, he takes, takes in the red pill, and all of a sudden he's now made aware of all of the reality that he's never seen before. And recognizes that all of the other humans are stuck in their drone, like hive-like existence, just living out without any recognition or acknowledge that there is something beyond. And so, as I was listening to this broadcast, this I mean, to this audio presentation this week, as I was reflecting on this, and like I said this morning, it was like God just kind of put it all in there for me. What I saw in my mind, I was, as Christians, we, in this distracted, blinded state of self, 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 me, 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 constant, 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 scrapping, fighting for who I am and what I need, all of a sudden, somehow, some way, God, who is constantly wooing and drawing us through His prevenient grace, gets our attention and we stick our head up. Instead of constantly looking down at what we're doing, we all of a sudden stick our head up and go, Oh my word. Look at that. And when you recognize that there's this God that's out there, that loves me, that desires me, that wants to have a relationship with me, and all of a sudden you become very aware of who you are and your guilt and your, your ownness, if you will, of all of the selfish and, and violent actions that you've done that have violated what could have been a beautiful from the beginning relationship with God. And now you are separated from God because of your sinfulness. And you become aware of that. And now there has to be a way to make it right. And the only thing that can be done to make it right is for you to accept Jesus Christ. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning about the idea that there is only one door. Not ten doors, not a million doors. There's one door, and that is Jesus Christ. We're taught that in the Scriptures. This is the message that John has been talking about. This is the gospel that he's talking about. This is the story, that you, the commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The beginning is God desires relationship with you. 
And you have violated that relationship because of your selfishness, because of your constant me, 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 me. And the only way to make it right is first of all to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And secondly, to receive the free offer, the free gift, which when you bring it in, awakens to you because the presence of God comes into your life. And now you are aware of, the, of everything you were not aware of before. And you are now, as John has described it earlier in this chapter and is continuing to describe it in these verses, you are walking in truth. You are walking in light. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And we talked about this last a couple weeks ago, talking about stepping into the light. And no longer having darkness around us, but literally having the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And it's as if this light is shining out of all the pores of our body, just illuminating everything around us. And as Christians, there's this, this idea that, that John is presenting that we as Christians walk in this light. It is shining. And then he goes into verse 9 and he says, but whoever says he's in the light and hates his, and he says brother, this is not a male sibling. This is anyone that you are in relationship with who is also a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So it can be male, it can be female. It is not a human being outside of the fold of believers. It is people who are believers. He says, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his fellow believer is still in darkness. Whoever loves his fellow believer abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, this in him, you'll probably have a note in yours that says it, it can either be him or you. Scholars aren't sure. Or is it talking about in God there is no cause for stumbling? Or in you there is no cause for stumbling? I like the idea that God in me means that there's no cause for stumbling. In other words, once I have God in my life and I am living in the light and I'm no longer walking around the darkness... I no longer have to fear stumbling. Now, I can choose. But stumbling indicates that something gets in front of me and I trip and I because I didn't see it. Verse 11, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This idea that John is presenting here is this. It's, there is no neutral... You either love your brother, fellow believer, or you hate him. There is no in-between. John is presenting the way you respond to the people who are part of the family of faith. You either love them or you hate them. There is no, well, I and the way one of the, one of the commentators that I read said, it's kind of like the argument we as human beings in modern day try to make. Well, I, I love the people I'm in relationship with. And I like everybody else, but like, you know, the garbage man that comes by my door, I, the most relationship I have with that person is I nod at them as I'm going to my car. We don't even know each other's names, so how can I love that person? Well, the commentator said, the argument is made that if you are not intentionally trying to be kind to them and show love to them, then you might as well just hate them. Because if you're not loving on them, you're hating them. That's that's the that's what the commentator was saying. We can understand John is saying here. Now you can chew on that for a while. It's something that that I, I found interesting to think about. 
But if you think about it in that, in that idea, with that, with that thought process, think about the people that are in your life. Think about the people in this room. We all claim to be Jesus followers, otherwise we wouldn't be here. So how do you, how do you treat each other? How do you respond to each other? Do you, in love, reach out? Do you intentionally try to show love to the people in this room? Or do you care whether or not anything's going on with them or not? Doesn't make any difference to you. They're not really part of my life. I, I see them on Sunday and I nod, and that's it. So, as I was reading through this, as I was studying it, as I was thinking about it, the question was, this idea that John is presenting is, A, there's this commandment that's been around since the beginning of the, of the world, that we're to be in right relationship with God. How do you be in right relationship with God? You love. And God said, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is that you should love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. You should love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if I'm going to love and truly please God, I have a responsibility to not only love God, but also to love the people around me. And if I'm in fellowship with people who are all like believers, of all people on the face of the earth, we should love each other the most. And Paul is, John is saying in his letter to this church, again, understand he's writing to believers, but he's, we believe he's writing to a specific group of people. Apparently he's addressing something that was going on in their fellowship. And he's saying, if you say you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven and you're covered by the blood and you do not love the people that you're going to church with? You're a liar. You're walking in darkness. You're blind to what's really happening. Something is not right. Something is messed up. And you need to figure it out and get back into the light because it is Literally love or hate. There is no middle ground. Well, that's not that big of a deal. Now, again, that's the crux of what he's saying. We have a responsibility to love because it's an ancient commandment. Love God, love every human being. But as brothers and sisters who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who come together on a regular basis to worship and to fellowship, it's more than just coming together and singing six songs and giving a small offering and listening to the pastor talk to the children and then listening to the pastor talk to you and then going home. There's more to this brotherhood than that. There needs to be intentionality about reaching out to each other and loving on each other in whatever way is necessary. And you heard me say to the kids this morning and to the parents of the kids, watch for how they express love because then you'll know how they will receive love. Okay? And the reason I'm saying that is because you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have a responsibility to reach out and love to the people around you. But if they don't understand the language you're speaking, they're not going to receive the message. For example, my wife's primary love language is words of affirmation. But if I, as a primary love language, have touch as my positive and primary love language, I want to express love to her so I come up and put my arm around her. I'm showing love to her. And I know she recognizes that I'm trying to show love to her. But the reality is, it might as well be that I'm standing on a Greek island speaking French to her. Because her primary language is Greek and my primary language is French 
And I'm trying to talk to her in my primary language, Greek. I mean, French, 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 French. And she's going, Greek, 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 Greek. French, 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 French. Greek, Greek, Greek. And all of a sudden, neither one of us are properly communicating what we're wanting to communicate, love, to each other. Because neither one of us are understanding what the other one's saying. And this goes back to a, a guy named Gary Smalley, who's, whose book is called uh, The Five Languages of Love, or The Five Love Languages. He literally says at some point, because you're not properly communicating love in a way that they can receive and understand, their love tank begins to drain. And they begin to feel unloved. And it's not that you don't love them. It's that you're not properly filling the tank with a way that they can recognize and understand and, and receive. And so they, they see what you're doing, but they don't perceive it as love, and they don't receive it as love, and the end result is that they feel unloved. And then they leave your fellowship because they don't feel like they're welcome. And they don't feel like anybody cares. And it's not that you didn't care, but you just didn't know how to tell them in a way that they could recognize, in a way that they could receive. Now, I'm not saying every person that's ever come to this church and then has left is left because they didn't feel loved. But I am saying that the reality is, is that this is how human beings work. Okay? The enemy of our souls is always about trying to keep us distracted from loving God and loving each other. He's trying to keep us always selfish. Always focusing on self, 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 self. Worrying about number one, making sure you've got what you need to take care of yourself. And keeping us in any way distracted from being right with God. Then all of a sudden, God's Holy Spirit woos us and we look up and go, whoa, totally new reality. Now I'm a Christian. I love God and I'm learning to love everybody around me. And I, so I'm supposed to read the Bible and I'm supposed to go to church and I'm supposed to pray. So that's what I'm going to do. And I go to church and I'm sitting there going, I'm going to church because I love God. Everybody else is going, I'm going to church too because I love God too. Oh, cool. Let's go to church together. How come you don't love me? What do you mean I don't love you? Of course I love you. No, you don't, because if you loved me, you'd really... Well, no, I'm telling you I love you. No, I want you to do this. Well, I'm telling you I love you. You should hear me. Forget it, I'm going to go someplace else where they will tell me that they love me. And now we have denominations. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> but do you hear what's going on here? And that's what John is trying to communicate to this congregation. If you say you love somebody and you don't, then you're walking in darkness. But if you don't care enough to learn how they can receive that love, you might as well hate them. Does that make sense? Because though, though you want to say you love them, they don't hear it, they don't receive it, Therefore, their love tank starts failing and they get discouraged and they feel like they're not welcome. And they feel like there's no place for them and so they might have gone someplace else. And then, what has happened? The enemy won. Because he got one culled out and got separated from the crowd. Now there's no longer support for them. Now they're on their own trying to find a place where they fit in. And the end result is some of those coals cool down, and die. And you can use the metaphor with sheep, and you can, I mean, just, but you understand what I'm saying, okay? The enemy is always trying to seal, kill, and destroy by any means possible. Why? Because the enemy hates God and wants to hurt God. And the goal, the goal is for us to build each other up as brothers and sisters. The command is to love on each other. 
But unfortunately, as human beings who live in this world, we don't always communicate love properly. And we need to learn how in a way that is received by the person. And it is not on them to change, it's on you to change. Okay? Because if they can't speak French, then you need to learn how to speak Greek. If you truly say you want to love them. If you truly say you want to be in relationship with them. If you don't, if it's too much of a bother, then stop trying to kid yourself saying that you truly love the brethren because you don't. Because it's all about you. If they really want to be part of this fellowship, they'll just become part of this fellowship. If they don't feel love, that's not my issue. But unfortunately, so often, you've heard the term click? So often churches, not this one of course, but so often churches do form cliques and it's very difficult to break into those cliques. And part of it is, is because the person just never feels loved. Not because, anyway, you've heard me say it three times already, so we're good. So next week, we're going to look at the remaining section of this, and we're going to talk more about what it means to walk in darkness, walk in light, to show love. But I want you to chew on this one for a while. If you are truly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means you love God, you love all of humanity, and especially you love the people of your church. And are you adequately and effectively communicating your love in a way that can be received. And now it's on you to figure out if you are. Let's pray.